All right. I have a question for you guys, which is, do you talk to yourself? And I'm asking this because I realized that I talk to myself quite often and I don't know where this comes from. Um, because when I hang out with other people, like when I'm studying with other people, I don't really notice or pay attention or, well, it's not that I'm not paying attention. It's that I'm like doing my work, but I never notice that anyone's talking to themselves. But it seems that when I hang out with other people, they notice that I talk to myself. And some people will say it and like point it out to me. And some people won't point it out until I ask them, hey, do I talk to myself? And then we're like, yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> um, I think the first time someone has pointed it out to me was my freshman year at Cooper. And I was working on my EID project, which is like something biomaterials related, I think. Um, and I had to make a presentation. And I have a lot of experience with like medical research paper reading. So I like was pretty okay with it. But I was I remember I was really stressed. And uh, I was in a room with Rita and Simon. And it was pretty late at night. And like, I remember this presentation was due pretty soon. I don't know, overall, I was pretty stressed. And I was like, I guess I was talking to myself and I I think I was saying things probably like, you can do this, like, you can do this, you're smart, you can do this. Um, and I, I didn't notice it until Simon pointed it out. He was like, huh, do you always do that? And I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like, I never really think about it. Um, and I don't know if it's something that started because I was at Cooper, like if it's like a Cooper coping mechanism I built, um, or if I've always done it and I just never picked up on the fact that I do it because I was an only child. Like I have two older sisters, but uh, they're so much older than I am that I kind of grew up by myself. And uh, lots of times, like I spent a lot of time in tutoring schools and usually you're just like in an exam room by yourself constantly. So I guess there was no one to ever tell me if I did talk to myself. So I just never noticed it. But now that I live alone and I talk to my dog, I realize I talk to myself when my dog isn't there because I will like call my dog and then realize she's not there. And then I'll be like, Ginger, it's okay. You can, you can do this. You can still have a good day without tubbies. Like, I guess I've always done it. Like even whether my dog is or isn't there. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Is it, is it like because I want someone to coach me and because there's no one that's going to be coaching me my entire life, I just stepped up to the role? Like, sorry, I'm fiddling with my pen, uh, fidgeting with my pen. But that might be it. <laughs> the fact that, like, I'm trying to coach myself, like, it's always something optimistic. Like, I never really say like, Ginger, you can't do this. Like, I don't, that's never, that doesn't feel comfortable coming out of my mouth. But like, yeah, no, uh, just now I like, I'm really stressed. <laughs> like, ah, I don't even know. I don't, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> ah, I don't know. Sometimes interactions with people will get me stressed um, or just like work. And right now it's both like, I just had to, so my wallet was uh, lost and then stolen, but then returned um, but I never actually requested a new credit card or debit card. And so I had like at least six cards and, uh, a lot of money at hand. And I have since reduced the number of cards I carry, but I didn't fix, like I didn't replace the cards. 
and just now my dad was um, looking at our at his credit card bill and he's like, Ginger, did you spend like $40 on Amazon? And I was like, no, I didn't buy anything from Amazon. And so we're like, oh my God, someone saved the number, like wrote down the credit card information number. I just like, I don't know, spent money on it. But then like now that I look back, I'm like, why would they only spend $40? Um, But actually uh, we realized that no one, they, no one took the card information down and it's actually purchase we made. It was actually like a flash drive I bought for my dad and I completely forgot that I bought it for him. But I just like having to like do administrative things is kind of exhausting sometimes. I don't know. Um, But then after that, I was like, I have homework due at 11. And um, I was like, Ginger, it's okay. You can do this. Like, I was just walking around my room, like, pacing and cleaning things up. I was like, Ginger, you can do this. And I was like, wait, why am I talking to myself? And then I realized, I guess I've done this for a while because it feels natural. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It certainly probably makes people think I'm weird the first couple of times they meet me. Um, But that's okay. I guess I think I'm saying that's okay just to justify being weird. I don't know. (laughs) I don't, yeah, okay. Until there's a problem with it, I guess I'll just keep, not that I actively do it, but like I won't actively stop myself until someone says it's a problem. And yeah, um, today I, what did I do today? Today, oh my God, I woke up late because I slept at like, pretty late um I slept like an extra hour by accident like I didn't set my alarm clock so I was I missed a class I feel pretty bad about it I think this whole week I've just realized that my sleep schedule is super off and I should just listen to my body and uh if I have to miss a meeting I have to miss a meeting because sometimes my sleep schedule is more important than a meeting um and if other people can't make the time, then I just, it's whatever. Then I, then I just catch up on the work. But at least I slept well, and at least I have a regimented sleep schedule. Um, I think that's what's most important for me. Also, because I feel like it's very easy for me to get sick right now. Uh, just in terms of, like, not interacting with people, but just, like, getting a cold. Because usually when I'm stressed, I'll get sick. And, like, not just, like, a little sick. Like, I will get so sick that I don't even feel like doing work. Um, like I'll be bedridden. I don't know. It happens like once a semester and I really don't want it to happen right now because it's like, it feels like it's just the beginning. Um, yeah, I don't know. On the bright side, um, the solar decathlon team is now a finalist for the NREL solar decathlon competition, which is super exciting because I didn't, I didn't know we would get here, but it's really nice that we did. And we have a lot of work ahead of us and, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Um, oh, yeah, I found this table, and it works perfectly. Like, it's a miracle how good it works with my space. Uh, I mean, the color's a little off, but, like, I kind of wanted black trimming anyways. Um, so it's like a metal foldable table with, like, a wood plank on top that snaps into it. Um, and I put it on top of the radiator because I hate the look of the radiator, but also, I've been using this dining, this new other dining table as a table for, like, my 3D printer. And that's just, like, not correct. So I'm glad I have, like, a workspace table because now it's, like, a dedicated space I can go to, 
Like if I want to sit down and like make something, I feel like that's a good thing because I have like a, a homework table, like a class uh, school table and I have a dining table, but I don't have like a makerspace table and I'm glad I have that now. Um, yeah, I'm really happy about it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so happy about it. Um, yeah, no, it's my first time stooping. So I've always followed this Instagram account on um, on Instagram. <laughs> and it's called Stooping NYC. So stooping means uh, when you see perfectly good furniture outside, just like laying there because no one wants it. Like, I get that because when I moved out of the dorms, I definitely left a couple pieces of like furniture and things that were like in perfectly good condition. Um, so I was like, I've always been skeptical though, because stooping tends to, people tend to pick up couches. And my thing with couches is that it's something that you're like, intimate is not the right word, but you spend a lot of time on it. And I feel like someone else has spent a lot of time on it. I don't know if I want it, you know, like, especially because a couch is quite difficult to clean. So I've been looking for a couch and my paycheck did come. I know I was really excited um, because then I could buy a couch. But I'm now realizing that I don't even, I don't know if I want a used couch. Like, I think it might be better if I just buy a new couch in which I should save a little more. Um, because I also wanted to buy a couple of like stonks and things. Um, I think I buy stonks for fun. I really like I don't look at it and I don't look at it on a day-to-day -day basis. I kind of just do it because I'm like, oh, this is cool. Um, the thing about stocks is that like people invest in it and there's, there's two ways of living, I believe. Like there's two ways to look at money. One is like as if you'll live forever and one is as if you'll die tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I think my philosophy is in between there, but I always recently, like, ugh, I hate talking about life because it makes me anxious sometimes and like uncomfortable. Uh, the thing about like living is that sometimes you don't even want to be conscious that you're living. Like you just want to live day by day. You know, I don't want to sit here and think about my soul and what happens. Like also the fact that like, I think about souls is weird um, or like death. Ugh, I, I don't know. It really gets to me. It makes me so uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's because I haven't come to terms with life or if like, I just haven't come to terms or if it's because I'm uncomfortable in my own body kind of thing. You know, I think once you settle into your own body, you kind of just appreciate life for what it is. And I think I'm, sometimes I get there and sometimes I take like 50 steps back and I like get so uncomfortably anxious. Um, it's also like a thing of loneliness. Okay. I'm not going to get into it because I know it makes some of you guys uncomfortable and you guys have vocalized this to me. But basically what I'm saying is with stocks, like people, people sometimes spend too much of their money on stocks and then they don't have day-to-day -day living money. And that is very unwise but the way I live is I live such that I have enough for the next month, like of living, like with emergency funds. Um, but when I want to buy something, like usually if I'm choosing between an object and a stock that I'm interested in, I will buy, I will save enough for the stock and then I'll buy the, 
object. So like right now, I want to buy this one stock just for shits and giggles. Like my dad told me about it and I looked it up and I was like, ah, cool, interesting, right? But then I want to buy this couch, right? And I am a student, so I don't have like an income that's significant enough such that I could have both. Um, And obviously I don't have a job that provides me like any kind of support in terms of like healthcare or like any of that. Um, It's really just cash. I mean, it's not cash. It's just like cash on the side. It's like a side hustle that doesn't take so much of my brain space that I can't focus on school, which is why it works for me. Um, But yeah, so I have to save for my future while also buying things for the present. And that is a difficult thing to balance because sometimes I will accidentally spend too much on stocks and then go, huh, I should not have done that. Um, And it's not like anything that's like urgent or pressing. It's not like I don't have money for day to day. It's just that I'm like, oh, I should not have spent that much on it, you know. Um, But yeah, so... I'm also also the thing about stocks is that I don't know very much, but um, my freshman year in EID 101 with Professor Lima, I already forgot what the class was called. It was maybe like design pro. Jeez, I don't know. Uh, I learned absolutely nothing from that class um, except maybe we practice presentations. Um, and like pitching your ideas because we did have like a hackathon and you did have to present and your idea did have to qualify for it to go on to a project. And mine did. Um, and I did end up making a project. I'm not very proud of the project. I didn't learn a lot from it, but, um, at the beginning, professor Lima, like asked me, I forgot why I showed up to his office hour, but at some point I was like, Oh yeah, I just like created a Roth IRA the other day. Like, I don't know. I guess I should not say so much random shit to random people because then it gets me into tough situations. This of which is certainly included in that list of terrible situations, which is that Lima asked me to present to the class about stocks. Mind you, I had just opened my Roth IRA. I don't know shit about stocks. I spent maybe like, mm, I think I was given like I, from my saved account, uh, from my savings accounts from when I was a kid, like I always saved up my red envelopes and that's kind of like where my money came from. I never let my parents really touch my money or manage it. It's always been me. Um, so I, I took a thousand dollars from my savings account and I know like I didn't know what I was doing with it. So I spent like a lot of time watching like YouTube videos and stocks and uh, especially the Graham Stephan show, though at some point he just gets annoying. Like when people talk about money, there's a fine line between talking about it in an educational manner. And then there's the line when you cross the line, you kind of just end up like flaunting your money, but then being obnoxious about it, you know. Um, and so sometimes he crosses the line. And so I don't watch his videos as much. Usually it's only like when I'm looking something up, um, then I'll watch his videos they're okay. Some of them are entertaining. Some of them are just okay. Uh, he has a good message, which is that you should always start investing early. Um, but that's also a message my dad told me. And, uh, yeah. So Lima had me present on investing and why we should start early, like as early as possible. And I'm so happy about that presentation because that's one of, well, actually the actual presentation was shit. Um, I'm going to be honest. That's maybe like one of 
the worst presentations I've ever made, not in the actual content, but in the delivery, because I was so nervous. This was the first presentation I made at Cooper, like on my own, like a one a one person on the stage kind of presentation. I like I've done like group presentations, but usually like uh, there's no stress for those, you know, like it's the whole group is you support each other throughout the presentation um, and you get those. Yeah, no. So that those are fine. But this was the first one where I had to stand alone and talk alone. But I think that presentation was the presentation I realized that when you're presenting, you don't need to focus on how you're going to mess up. Instead, you focus on delivering your message. You think about one person in the audience and think about how can you say things such that they will understand what you're trying to tell them, what you're trying to teach them. It's about you being a teacher and someone learning and you being as clear as you possibly can. Um, I certainly was not clear in that presentation about investments, but I definitely tried to pack as much as I knew into a 30, no, it was maybe like 10 minute, a 10 minute presentation. Um, and I got a lot of positive reviews back and uh, Professor Lima made like a Google form that like students could like rate my presentation and like drop comments. And I had so many nice comments about like how they really liked my presentation. Also, this presentation I spent a bit of time on because I noticed that some presentations, especially in engineering schools, they kind of just go like bullet point by bullet point. But I think the best presentations are the ones that tell a story, but also teach you along the way. So I told my personal story about why I started investing so early. Um, I guess I could tell you guys later, but... uh, but the responses were so nice because they were like, after your presentation, I actually like created an, my own investment account. And it's just like, I'm so glad that like I could influence someone to do something really great for themselves. Like that made me very happy. And recently uh, I was talking to a truth and I, so the, the, the responses were anonymous um, and a truth was like, Oh yeah. Like how are your, how are your, like, what are you investing in now? Like, what do you, what do you do with your account? Like, how do you diversify your portfolio? And I was like, I don't know. I just like look around. He's like, yeah, after your presentation, I actually started like looking into stocks. So I'm really happy about that because I'm happy for them because they're making a positive change in their future. Um, like just, you don't even have to save a lot. Like, I think that's a huge misconception. Like I know a thousand dollars might be a lot for a college student, but I promise you there's always like money you can save. And even like investing the smallest thing will like, even if it goes down, it's perfectly fine because you can never predict the market and people who tell you they can are just bullshitting, you know, like, it's completely random. It's definitely like an emotions-based kind of thing. Like it's the emotions of the the mass, you know, like how the people feel about what they want to buy and what they want to sell. Um, so I, I really admire the people who work in the finance industry because how the, f- okay, I don't know. I'm going to curse. How the fuck do they know what the fuck they're doing? Because what the fuck do you even like? It's fucking numbers, but you can only guess so much, you know, like, you can't fucking guess the future. And it blows my mind when people just like listen to one person. They're like, oh yeah, like 
Warren Buffett like does this and he can predict. No, he can't do anything. You know, he's just, I mean, I'm not going to say he's just a regular dude, but like you can't just listen to someone else. You know, you have to make your own decisions. Um, which is my thing about stocks. It's like invest in the things you're interested in and care about. Um, and that you believe will do well, or you believe that there's innovation in that field. You know, like, I feel like you don't invest just because you're predicting the market. Predicting the market is such, like, a bullshit idea to me. And I know that I have some, like, close friends who, like, say they predicted the market and made, like, $2,000 from $1,000. You know, like, they made, like, a 200%. I don't, like, okay, I'm very proud of you, but I think it's a bold statement to say that just because you read some articles and you read the news that you were able to predict the market. Like, I think that's just following the the emotions of the mass, and that's fine, too, you know, but I, I think for long-term investments, okay, see, I have to take my statement back because it's okay for, like, if you're doing, like, day trading, like, you're just doing, like, I don't know, you're like micromanaging your stocks. But I think for me, I invest because I want to be able to retire. See, that's the thing about investments is you have to know why you're doing it. You know, you can invest on the short term or you can invest in the long term. Um, I guess I'll go into the reason about why I started investing. Um, Okay, so my dad's pretty old for you guys that don't know. Um, I think he's turning, he's like in his mid-70s. And he was married to my sister's mother. Um, and when he got a divorce, uh, they were a very affluent family. They were very successful. Um, my dad worked at Con Ed and then um, him and my sister's mother um, opened a jewelry business that was incredibly successful in Chinatown. Uh, they no longer have any stores, but they had a chain and it went on Canal and Bowery. And if you guys have ever been to Chinatown, you would know that Canal and Bowery are kind of the central streets. So they had, I believe, seven stores. And so um, they had a lot of money. And my sisters grew up with a lot of, my oldest sister especially, grew up with a lot of, I don't want to say privilege because that's not the right word, but a lot of money, you know, like uh, they had a maid, they had uh, she went to, I think, elementary school that like had a tuition, uh, whereas I just was sent to public school. Um, so the reason I invest is because when he got divorced, he actually lost a lot of money paying for lawyers to get custody over my sisters. Um, and in paying so much, he actually lost a lot of his money and he really was left with nothing. Uh, his credit score like just went to shit and he really like had nothing to live on. And by the time this was happening, he was around 50. So to be middle aged and to have absolutely nothing was something that really, I think changed the way my dad saw how he was managing his money. Um, and I just, every day he like, every time he mentions it, it just sounds so terrible. You know, like you just really don't want to be in that position. Um, and I think from that, I was like, okay, I never want to be in that position. What can I do and set up for myself right now such that I can avoid that as much as I can? Like no matter what life throws at me, I want to be able to have like a safety float, like a, like a backup, like something to... S 
something to cushion my fall, if anything, you know? So I asked my dad, like, hey, I have some of this money saved. What can I do so that I don't end up like you? Um, and my dad was really ha- happy to help me get started um, because, you know, like when you see someone going through a rough patch and you don't even have to actively see them going through a rough patch because this was all before I was born. Um, it's just not fun to hear about when people are at their lowest. And so what you can learn is uh, ask them for advice to how to not get to the same point. And so for him, it was managing your money correctly. And I'm still working on that. I certainly spend money on stupid shit. And I don't manage my money the way I should, uh, especially given the resources on how to manage money. Um, I definitely should be doing a better job. But I think investing, determining why you're investing, like I said earlier, like I am investing for retirement or for an emergency. Um, Some people invest for like, I don't know, day-to-day uh, just cash flow. And I, I don't do that because it would take too much time. And if I were to do that at that rate, I might as well go into finance or like econ or something. Um, if I'm going to spend so much time every day, I might as well dedicate my career to it, but that's not what I'm interested in. So I just, whenever I get a paycheck, I throw some of my money, like a percentage of it, uh, into stocks. Um, yeah, and I am, I'm not even going to say I'm good at it because I'm definitely not good at it. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I'm just looking at companies that I believe in, and I go, yeah, I'd support that. Like I would invest my money in that because at the end of the day, that's really what the idea comes down to. It's what do you believe in, you know? Like um, I'm not going to like sit, tell anyone what to believe in, and when people ask me what to buy, I, I can't really say anything because I go – well, what I believe in might not be the same as what you believe in, you know? Um, and I had some classmates ask me, like, what did you buy? Uh, I think it's because they watched my presentation and thought that I knew everything, but I genuinely don't know everything. I'm just doing what I know from my research, and my research might not be 100%, and uh, they might want to ask a financial advisor instead because maybe they will do a better job, Um I think the best present someone can give you is direction towards uh, no one can tell you what to buy unless unless they have insider information then okay fine take their advice um but I think the best thing someone can tell you is help you identify what your purpose for investing is and also help you explore what companies there are out there that you can invest in um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's my theory. But yeah, that uh, I got into this because I was talking about couches. I want a couch. Um, I think a couch would make me feel like more comfortable. <laughs> I think when I want to lay down, my only option is my bed. Or I'll lay down on Tubby's bed, which is embarrassing because Tubby's bed is actually a mattress topper I had that I didn't like and I folded into a dog bed size and I bought her a dog bed, but she prefers the mattress topper bed. Um, but when I get the couch, I can't tell if I want to get rid of her bed because she loves it so much. Uh, same with this like blanket. I, I had this blanket since high school and I won it in a church competition. 
I forgot what it was. It was like completely lighthearted and I'm not religious, but I like will go to church just to like hang out with my friends. I think the good thing about religion is that it brings people together. Um, so I'm glad I met people at that event and I won a blanket. Um, but the blanket has since lost its spark, but uh, Tubby's really loves it. And so I don't have the heart to throw it away. Um, but hopefully I find a couch that fits my home size and can also fit Tubby's bed still um, so that I don't have to get rid of it. Or maybe I'll just move things around. Then then everyone gets what they want. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I was going to talk about something yesterday, which came up, which is personalities. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if it's something I believe in to say that everyone fits into one of the 16 personalities that exist. Um, let me look it up because Andy and Eugene sent this to me. And the funny thing is that I feel like we're such different people and yet we got such similar results. Like we all have the same personality, except that one of the three of us is more introverted than the others. Um, but we literally are the exact same (laughs) and that's mind blowing. So I am a ENFP dash T, um, Yeah, I am. I wouldn't say I'm extroverted. I just say I'm vocal when I want to be, but I, I don't really like, I'm comfortable talking when the group size is small. Um, I'm not confident talking in a class setting or in kind of anything larger than like, I want to say five, 10 people. I get really nervous. Um, so it says I'm 58% extroverted, 42% introverted. It says this trait determines how we interact with our environment. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. The second one is energy. This trait shows where we direct our mental energy. 62% intuitive, 38% observant, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Nature. This trait determines how we make decisions and cope with emotions. This is embarrassing because I know like there is a not status quo. There is a kind of model engineer. Like when you think of an engineer, you think of someone who's very logical. Um, And my dad has always told me that I'm someone who acts on emotion rather than logic. And that he kind of says it in a way that implies it's not good. Um, and so when I see this, I'm like, oh, you know, it's just like, a, mm, I, I knew it, but I also like didn't want to see it, but I know it's true, uh, which is that I am very guided by my emotions. I know that there is logic and I will think through the logic, but I will ultimately choose to follow the actions of what my emotions tell me to do. Uh, not, not that my emotions tell me, it's just like what my emotions yeah, what my emotions tell me to do. Uh, so basically, I, my, I'm my, i 69% feeling and 31% thinking. And also, I want to mention that I'm not saying that like this one quiz says everything about me and these percentages are determining my understanding of self. Certainly not. But I just know that these numbers kind of follow along with what I think of myself. Um yeah, I'm really guided by emotions. <laughs> like I will, like if I'm put in a tough situation where I want to do one thing, uh, but I know if I, like I will have thought it through and know that the other option is technically better, 
I will still do the thing that I felt I wanted to do, you know? Um, And I think with engineering, that's usually maybe uncommon because engineers, I feel like traditionally are pretty logical and uh, don't really follow with feeling, you know, they're just like robots. (laughs) But I think maybe that's why I feel like such an outsider is because I'm just so much more emotional than most kids are in my school. Um, Or maybe I just don't see the sides of them and I'm just more vocal about my emotions. Maybe. All right. Moving on to tactics. This trait reflects our approach to work, planning, and decision-making. I am 63% prospecting and 37% judging. And identity is the last criteria. Um, It says this trait underpins all the others, showing how confident we are in our abilities and decisions. Um, Okay. I just want to say before I say the numbers that the way this quiz presents the data is it ranges from assertive to turbulent and turbulent is such a strong term in my opinion it just there is a um wow every time I talk I just forget words uh even in real life like there doesn't need to be a microphone for me to like trip up on words there is just like um it insinuates turbulence is a not good trait to have, which I guess is true, but I think this quiz should have actually written the range as assertive to insecure, you know, like turbulent. I, the definition of turbulent to me is completely different than what I think they're trying to say. Um, so I am 85% turbulent and 15% assertive. Um, And here turbulent means that you're kind of confident in yourself. Uh, So like if you make a decision and someone questions it, will you question your your original decision? Uh, For me, all the time. If someone even mentions that it might be wrong, I'll be like, oh my God, yeah, I'm wrong. You know, Um, and I think that is something I could work on. (laughs) Um, It's just being more confident in yourself and really taking pride in your work. I think for me, it's very hard for me to take pride in work because I'm always like, well, it could have been better, you know? Um, And it's tougher for me to be critical of my own work when I'm in a group project because I don't like critiquing others. I'm really good at like critiquing myself. Um, So yeah, that's the thing. I, I admire the people who never critique themselves and think that they are whatever they produce is the best of the best. Um, But to me, sometimes it comes across as bigoted or kind of like stuck up, but maybe that is a misconception that I have to rewrite in my own mind, uh, which is that I think you need to find balance. And I think the balance is being proud in yourself, um, but not, not like you have to be accepting of critique and you have to try to understand it. Whereas for me, I accept critique so much to a point where I just automatically assume critique is right. You know, I always assume that I am wrong. (laughs) I don't really know where that comes from, but I better work on that. Um, Yeah, so I am, it says I'm a campaigner. That is my personality type. And um, I read the the description. It's pretty long, but I think it's really interesting. Um, Let me pull it up. So the 16 personalities test, I forget what the actual name is. 
Um, there's got to be a name for this test. The N-E-R-I-S. Mm, no, nah, that sounds wrong. Never mind. <laughs> Let me look it up. It's not the Myers-Briggs test, is it? <laughs> All right. Mm. All right, I don't know which one it's called. Um, but if you look up 16 personalities or free personality test, uh, this is forwarded to me and then I did it, but I've, I think I've done it in the past and I remember I was like an INTJ or something. So I guess like as you grow, you change and that's okay. Um, yeah, so it says, I am a turbulent campaigner. That just sounds so wrong. Like maybe I'm taking offense to the fact that I'm so insecure, but that just sounds wrong. Like I think insecure campaigner would have been better. Um, or maybe I'm just not good at vocabulary and turbulent genuinely means what it's supposed to mean in this instance. And I'm just wrong. See, okay, this is just me being insecure about my own ideas. <laughs> oh, classic. <laughs> okay, let's see. I think, oh, there's an insight of the day. Tell me what my insight of the day. Campaigners are the most likely personality type to believe they have a lucky number. Okay, my thing about lucky numbers is that I don't have a lucky number because no longer is no number has ever brought me particular luck. For me, uh, I think this kid Brian Fang, he's the brother of one of my friends growing up, uh, Victoria Fang, uh, and he went to Cooper. Brian told me something very important, which is that if you ever can't decide, pick something random and always know that you can make, you have the power to change your decision or to change the outcome. You know, like if you go one route, you have the power to go to the other route. Um, and you should not dwell too much on like, which one should I choose? Just pick one, go with it. And if something goes wrong, you have the power to fix it. So the thing with lucky numbers is I just end up choosing a random number. Um, and I don't believe in random lucky numbers. I believe there's actually something about numbers that certain people are drawn to specific numbers. So I think numbers like 34, 17, 88, 91, uh, 3, and 7, I think those are the most common lucky numbers I've ever heard. And when people are like, oh, guess a number, it's usually one of those numbers in my experience. Um, I don't know why, um, but I don't know. That's just my experience. So I don't believe in lucky numbers, but interesting that that is the insight of the day. Um, yeah, let's see. It says my role is diplomat. Let's see. And my strategy is social engagement. Oh, something interesting about this is it said something about, um, let me see. Where the heck is the information? Tell me. It says you're mostly turbulent. Turbulent individuals are self-conscious and sensitive to stress. They are likely to experience a wide range of emotions and to be success-driven, perfectionistic, and eager to improve. Nice. That actually sounds terrible because I felt all of that and I know it feels terrible. I wish it was like, <laughs> geez, is there like a bright side to being like this? Because I sure hope so. It feels like shit to be like this sometimes. Though sometimes it's nice. Mm, yeah, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> My profile. I'm looking for one thing. Where the heck is it? It's the one where it tells you like a breakdown of everything. 
You know what I mean? Like, definitely take this test. I want to know what you guys are. Like, I'm kind of curious. There's, like, a part where it talks about, like, personal growth, relationships with friends, and uh, romantic relationships. There's one that's, like, connections, discussions. Oh, career. Uh, I'm interested in what your personality type says your career should be. Not that you should ever follow it. Because this one, I think it says I should go into philosophy or something. Um, that is certainly not what I'm on. <laughs> but you know what? I respect it. Maybe maybe there's a part of me that should do that. But n- not right now. Not right now. Tell me. Okay, here it is. I found it. Introduction. It says, I am a true free, free spirit. Okay, I'll just read it to you. I'm sorry if this bores you, but the campaigner personality is a true free spirit. They are often the life of the party, but unlike types in the explorer role group, campaigners are less interested in the sheer excitement and pleasure of the moment than they are in enjoying the social and emotional connections they make with others. Charming, independent, energetic, and compassionate, the 7% of the population that they comprise can certainly be felt in any crowd. More than just sociable people pleasers, though, campaigners, like all their diplomat cousins, are shaped by their intuitive neat quality, allowing them to read between the lines with curiosity and energy. They tend to see life as a big, complex puzzle where everything is connected. But un- unlike analyst personality types who tend to see the puzzle as a series of systematic machinations, me- oh my god, I can't read, machinations, jeez, this is embarrassing, I'm gonna have to look it up. <laughs> I hate when I don't know a word. Machinations. Machinations. Well, now I learned something. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) I'll start from the beginning of the sentence. They tend to see life as a big complex puzzle where everything is connected. But unlike the analyst personality types who tend to see that puzzle as a series of systematic machinations, campaigners see it through a prism of emotions, compassion, and mysticism and are always looking for a deeper meaning. It also says campaigners are fiercely independent and much more than stability and security. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just can't read. (laughs) You're just going to have to put up with it. Um, And if you're curious, you just Google it and ignore what I say for the next maybe 30 minutes. (laughs) Campaigners are fiercely independent and much more than stability and security. They crave creativity and freedom. Something about the way I said that sentence was wrong, but we're just going to keep going. (laughs) Many other types are likely to find these qualities irresistible, and if they've found a cause that sparks their imagination, campaigners will bring in an energy that oftentimes thrusts them into the spotlight, held up by their peers as a leader and a guru. But this isn't always where independence-loving campaigners want to be. Worse still, if they find themselves beset by the administrative tasks and routine maintenance that can accompany a leadership position. That is 100% true. I love thinking about ideas, but I tend to end up being assigned the lead role. And then the lead role is usually a project managing role. And that is a very administrative heavy role. But I think my way around this problem is focusing on the way I can gain knowledge from a project. So if I focus on learning, uh, the, the administrative stuff of getting people to work together will come naturally. That has been my workaround. But I do feel that when I am thrown a ton of administrative tasks, I get really exhausted and then I lose interest in whatever I was pitching, you know. Um, 
An example of this would be solar decathlon. I was very interested in the idea. I did a lot of research and then I was given the team lead role. And then once you are a team lead role, you have to manage everyone. You are in so many email, just chains, constantly email chain, just my email is blown up by just people responding and replying to all. Um, but what I'm focusing on right now is finding a mentor that I feel like I can learn the most from. And right now it's Nick or Adam. Um, I'm leaning towards Nick, but sometimes I feel guilty because I know he works really hard and I feel like sometimes I'm wasting his time by asking him questions and also because sometimes I fall behind. So I feel super guilty. So my solution is to work with Adam until I can catch up and feel confident enough to work with Nick so that I don't feel like I'm wasting his time. That is where I sit right now. And I'm okay with that. Like, I think it's a good place to start. Um, but if I find that working with Adam does not work for me, I'm just going to go straight to Nick. Um, but yes, I really admire Nick. He's always present in every meeting and he's always contributing something important. And he always has really good ideas, like informed ideas. Like I will just have creative ideas and I'll just say them. And sometimes they come across as entirely stupid or useless or irrelevant. Um, but I hope that when I become, See, the thing is, I want to say when I become his age, but that's stupid. You don't have to wait until a certain age to be wiser or be more knowledgeable. Okay, I hope that at the at some point in this project, I can contribute ideas on the same level as him, on the same intellectual level. Um, that is my goal. That is actually truly my goal, is to learn so much from this project that when I contribute ideas, they're beyond the creative ideas. They go into the details of it. Um, okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, campaigners' self-esteem is dependent on their ability to come up with original solutions and they need to know that they have the freedom to be innovative. They can quickly lose patience or become dejected if they get trapped in a boring role. And I 100% agree with that. As I mentioned before, if I feel bored or if I feel like I'm in a cycle, I'm just not interested. Uh, which is why I don't know if I could ever have an office job. Like, I think that's the thing with me in medical research. Um, in high school, it felt too much like an office job to me. Things were so repetitive, um, but that might just be because I wasn't allowed to really contribute too much in the, in the more creative side of research. Um, I think if I was given the opportunity to think more and for my ideas to be heard more, uh, maybe I would have liked it and maybe I would have gone into medicine. But that is why I dropped research. It's because I just felt like I was I don't want to make this sound disgusting, but I felt like I was just constantly killing mice, like taking out bone marrow, uh, injecting mice. I was constantly just doing the same exact thing over and over again. And I got so bored of it. Like it really pained me to go. Yeah. Like I was just exhausted because of school, but also because I felt like I wasn't learning anything except I was just giving free labor. Um, so maybe it's not me and maybe it's like, the way the opportunity was set up was not beneficial for me. Um, I'm willing to give it another chance. Uh, though I did work at two labs, so I did see two different labs. But maybe because I was in high school, I understand why they would only task me with like the, re the repetitive tasks so that you can get really good at them. Um, and then you can build from there and then you can start like participating in meetings and um, 
pitching your ideas of like which uh, pathway we can look at or whatever, like which, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, I just can't get trapped in a boring role or else I will become impatient and then not be interested. So in that case, this article has been right so far. In reading this, I don't think I ever actually saw something I didn't agree with. But it could be like an astrology thing, the fake astrology thing, where it's like everyone can technically relate to that statement. Um, So I don't know, (laughs) but it's interesting. Um, It says, luckily, campaigners know how to relax, and they are perfectly capable of switching from a passionate, driven, idealistic in the workplace to that imaginative and enthusiastic free spirit on the dance floor, often with a suddenness that can surprise even their closest friends. Uh, This could be why a lot of my friends say I have crackhead energy. (laughs) Like I know there are other people out there who have, I feel more crackhead energy, but a lot of people say I'm very spontaneous. And I think this, this statement just says that in a much nicer way. (laughs) All right. And it also says, Being in the mix also gives them a chance to connect emotionally with others, giving them cherished insight into what motivates their friends and colleagues. That is true. I love hearing about other people's stories and uh, their passions. All right. They believe that everyone should take the time to recognize and express their feelings and their empathy and sociability make that a natural conversation topic. Yes, I agree. (laughs) I I know sometimes people don't really like to confront their feelings. So if I ever feel it in a conversation coming up and I feel that there's tension around the topic, I usually just put it back and throw it back into like a small talk conversation. But I really am interested in hearing about how people feel um, and how people want to feel, you know? All right. The campaigner personality type needs to be careful, however. If they rely too much on their intuition, assume or anticipate too much about a friend's motivation, they can misread the signals and frustrate plans that a more straightforward approach would have made simple. This kind of social stress is the bugbear that keeps harmony-focused diplomats awake at night. Campaigners are very emotional and sensitive, and when they step on someone else's toes, they both feel it. That is true. (laughs) Campaigners will spend a lot of time exploring social relationships, feelings, and ideas before they find something that really rings true. But when they finally do find their place in the world, their imagination, empathy, and courage are likely to produce incredible results. I hope that's true. (laughs) Um, Okay. It's the strengths and weaknesses. Curious. When it comes to new ideas, campaigners aren't interested in brooding. They want to go out and experience things and don't hesitate to step out of their comfort zones to do so. Campaigners are imaginative and open-minded, seeing all things as part of a big, mysterious puzzle called life. Observant. Campaigners believe that there are no irrelevant actions, that every shift in sentiment, every move, and every idea is part of something bigger. To satisfy their curiosity, campaigners try to notice all of these things and to never miss a moment. All right. Energetic and enthusiastic. As they observe forming new connections and ideas, campaigners won't hold their tongues. They're excited about their findings and share them with anyone who will listen. This infectious enthusiasm has a dual benefit of giving campaigners a chance to make more social connections and of giving them a new source of information and experience as they fit their new friends' options, opinions into their existing ideas. This is true. Oftentimes I feel like I'm very excited about every little thing that happens in my day. And I I feel bad when I constantly contact the same people to tell them about like some little detail uh, because I know people are tired and like sometimes my energy doesn't help them. Um, 
and no one has ever like told me so, but I just feel it. And I, I understand there's like a line that like can't be crossed in terms of comfort. Um, so sometimes I will randomly call friends and be like, Hey, I want to show you something cool. (laughs) And there's really no reason why I chose any particular friend. Um, it's just the one I felt the least guilty about contacting probably, (laughs) but yeah, I'm always excited about something. Um, sometimes when I'm in a rut, I feel like nothing's exciting, but I think every time I try something new, it's exciting. Um, yeah. All right. Next point. Excellent communicators. It's a good thing that campaigners have such strong people skills or they'd never express these ideas. Campaigners enjoy both small talk and deep, meaningful conversations, which are just two sides of the same coin for them and are adept at steering conversations towards their desired subjects in ways that feel completely natural and unforced. See, the thing about this is that my dad has always said, I'm a mouse at home. No, I'm a mouse in the in the streets in the streets but a tiger at home meaning that i am very talkative at home but outside i tend to be very quiet but i actually think that when i am not around my family i'm actually more of myself i think growing up i have a lot of i hold a lot of things against my mom and i am not myself when i'm holding a grudge um and i don't like holding grudges it's really exhausting but i think they, my family knows a part of me that no one else knows, but also everyone else knows a part of me that my family doesn't know. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. But to me, it's like I almost changed person. Like this was really bad when I was growing up, like in middle school. Um, I remember I'd be a completely different person in school than in at home. And it was exhausting. Um, so for this to say that I have strong people skills, uh, my dad used to criticize me and say that, like, Ginger, you're never going to get anywhere in life if all you do is read books. But also, I wasn't good at reading books, so I don't really know where that came from. I just think he thought I wasn't talkative or that I wasn't good at communicating, and so he thought I was just, like, not going to do well. He'd always be like, well, you know, Renee isn't always book smart, but she's really good with people, and that's why she's so successful. And he'd say it in a way that made me feel like I he thought I didn't know how to talk to people. And it was really frustrating to prove a parent wrong is really draining. Um, and so I never actually bothered to do it. Um, yeah, I remember one time I was looking at Columbia university for like, I think I forgot what, but, uh, my dad couldn't make it. And so my sister had to come with me and my sister, Laura was like, I kind of just like, the thing about me and my sister Laura is that we're not very close, but she makes me feel comfortable. So then I kind of ended up treating her like a friend. And so when I went to this event, I kind of just like was myself the same way I would have been in school. And then she's like, wow, I've never seen that side of you, Ginger. Like you're so talkative. Like you're able to talk to so many people. And I was like, yeah, I mean like this is normal for me. I don't know. But at home, I don't really talk to anyone. Okay. Next. Know how to relax. It is not all nature of the cosmos discussions with campaigners people with this personality type know that sometimes nothing is important as simply having fun and experiencing life's joys that intuitive trait lets campaigners know that it's time to shake things up and these wild bursts of enthusiastic energy can surprise even their closest friends very popular and friendly all this adapt adapt oh geez i can't (laughs) 
Adaptability and spontaneity comes together to form a person who is approachable, interesting, and exciting, with a cooperative and altruistic spirit and friendly, empathetic disposition. Campaigners get along with pretty much anyone, and their circles of friends stretch far and wide. Um, I've never thought of myself as popular, but I always prided myself in being friendly. Um, I always approach the people who are quiet because I... Don't, I know what it feels like to be left out. <laughs> so I tend to, my friend groups tend to be very, I tend to talk to a lot of people, but I might not necessarily be close with a lot of people. And I remember in middle, in high school, people were like, wow, Ginger, you have so many Facebook friends. And I do know everyone I add, or at least I know they know someone I know. And like, I've been in like the same room as them or something. Um, but it never actually made me feel like I was more popular or anything. I always looked at, uh, especially the girls that were pretty at my high school and like had all their pretty friends. And like, they, there was like this one particular group of people. And I was like, those are the popular people. You know, I never saw myself as popular. I always saw myself as like having small connections with like a little bit of everyone from every group. Um, so yeah, I don't know about that one. I, it's just very popular and friendly. I would agree with the friendly, but I don't know about the very popular. I guess very popular in that I know a lot of range of people. Um, like I, I don't really stick with one group of people most times, which is interesting because now in Cooper, I, I only really stick with one group. Um, it could be remote learning forcing me to like not want to talk to other people, but yeah, I don't know about very popular. All right. Weaknesses. This is what we like to hear. It's where we, not where we, where I suck. <laughs> All right. Poor practical skills. What a fantastic start. <laughs> when it comes to conceiving ideas and starting projects, especially involving other people, campaigners have exceptional talent. Unfortunately, their skill with upkeep, administration, and follow-through on these projects struggles. Without more hands-on people to help push day-to-day -day things along, campaign campaigners' ideas, ideas are likely to remain just that. Ideas. 100% true. Uh, which is why I think picking the right people in group projects is very important. Finding it difficult to focus. Oh, this, is, this is the best way to describe me. Um, campaigners are natural explorers of interpersonal connections and philosophy, but this backfires when what they needs to be done is that TPS report sitting in front of them. It's hard for campaigners to maintain interest as tasks drift towards routine administrative matters and away from broader concepts. Yeah. Um, when... I am having difficulty focusing. I actually have to look at that specific topic and zoom out and go, okay, how do dielectrics fit into E&M? Okay, how does E&M fit into my understanding of physics? And then I'm like, okay, fine. Let me look back at this one equation that describes like, um, what is it? What am I looking at right now? Electric potential due to a single source. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, now I can pay attention to the lecture. Um, yeah, zooming out and zooming in helps me. All right, overthink things. <laughs> Fantastic. First, campaigners don't take things at face value. They look for underlying motives, even in the simplest things. It's not uncommon for campaigners to lose a bit of sleep asking themselves why someone did what they did, what it might mean, and what to do about it. Get stressed easily. All this overthinking isn't just for their own benefit. Campaigners, especially turbulent ones, are very sensitive and care deeply about others' feelings. A consequence of their popularity is that they often is that others often look to them for guidance and help, which takes time. And it's easy to see why campaigners sometimes get overwhelmed, especially when they can't say yes to every request. 
Um, I tend to say yes to everything and that really backfires. <laughs> All right. Highly emotional. While emotional expression is healthy and natural, with campaigners even viewing it as a core part of their identity, it can come out strongly enough to cause problems for this personality type particularly when under stress, criticism, or conflict. Campaigners can experience emotional bursts that are counterproductive at best. Uh, yeah, this is worked against me. Um, independent to a fault. See, I don't know if I see myself as independent, but some people think I am. Campaigners loathe being micromanaged and restrained by heavy-handed rules. They want to be seen as highly independent masters of their own fates, even possessors of an altruistic wisdom that goes beyond draconian law. The challenge for campaigners is, they li- is that they live in a world full of world of checks and balances, a pill they are not happy to swallow. Romantic relationships. Um, yeah, I guess I go through this. <laughs> I'll save the rest for next time because I feel like it's been a pretty long recording. Um, okay. When it comes to relationships, there's hardly anyone around who is more excited than campaigners to share with their partners the bounty of ideas and eye-opening experiences that life has to offer. For people with campaigner personality type, relationships are a joyous process of mutual exploration and imagination, a chance to connect with another soul. Campaigners take their relationships seriously and are known for their uninhibited and unshakable devotion to the people with whom they've committed their hearts. Um, it points out campaigners have the advantage of irresistible charm when it comes to attracting a partner. Campaigners warmth, excitement, and passion are simply alluring. All right. That's just like a compliment. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) In the dating phase, if campaigners can be said to tolerate such a formal process to begin with, they will show these qualities by showering their new flames with affection and will do everything they can do to build a strong relationship by demonstrating their devotion and reliability by whatever means available. Long-distance relationships are quite common among campaigners, as they view physical distance as just another idea, no match for concepts like love. This gives them the chance to demonstrate their commitment, both by staying true despite the physical separation and with overtures of, of effort to surprise their partners crossing that distance on a whim. These are demonstrations of campaigners' mystery, idealism, and deep emotion, and such efforts often keep the flames of relationship burning bright. Campaigners with the people with the campaigner personality type express these ideals sexually as well, exploring the physical imagination and passion, viewing these times together as a chance to let their feelings for each other shine, sharing their love and affection. Campaigners will willingly experiment with their partners even early in a relationship, but they can also be oddly perfectionistic, believing that these physical acts are a representation of their deeper love, and as such should not be performed carelessly. This perfectionism is also a reflection of their sensitivity, their desire not to disappoint, and campaigners appreciate a well-placed compliment. That's true. I do appreciate a well-placed compliment, uh, but I'm sure everyone does. See, like, I, I will question this because I'm like, doesn't this apply to everyone? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not everyone can handle the excitement, occasional neediness, and emotional ups and downs that this philosophy entails. Whether long distance or long term, mystical or physical, campaigners constantly explore new ideas and improvements, fantasize about future possibilities in dating. This tendency looks ten, this tendency to look at potential rather than the present can be self defeating, and their spontaneity makes it harder to stay focused on their end goal of a long-term relationship. If their partners aren't able to reciprocate these acts of excitement and devotion, campaigners will likely end up feeling unhappy and misunderstood. Uh, 
I don't know if I actually have much merit to say I relate or don't relate to this because I don't know if I've ever been in a romantic relationship. Like I, I'm sure like I've liked someone, but I don't know if I would ever qualify any of them as relationships. Um, yeah, I think the, the greatest takeaway from most of them is friendship <laughs> and I value all of them. Um, campaigners go all in with their relationships and if they fall apart despite their efforts, they can end up plagued with questions about why the relationship failed and what they could have done differently. Without a, a buoy, these thoughts can crush campaigners' self-esteem as they sink into depression. It is important for campaigner personalities, as with anyone, to remember that relationships in always are in always mutual, mutual interest, mutual growth, and mutual responsibility, and they can't be solely accountable. After a trial like this, campaigners may be reluctant to open up and commit, and it can take years for a partner to navigate their bewildering depth and intensity, falsely believing that a campaigner's enthusiasm and apparent openness means that they wear everything on their sleeves. That is true. Every time I get heartbroken, I don't really feel like opening up, but I'm a pretty open person, I'd say, and I'm pretty enthusiastic, and most people think that I'm very... Um, I'm very clear with my feelings and that I just... Like it says, wear everything on my sleeve. Um, that's not always true. Yeah, it actually takes a lot for me to do it. It's actually a little exhausting sometimes. Um, but yeah, it does take time for me to recover. But also, like I'm saying, this can apply to anyone. So yeah, the reality is that campaigners' spontaneity, the seemingly inconsistency and eroticism the untrained eye sees isn't a product of flightness or lack of depth. Depth. But the opposite, it is a drive to express ideas about a mystical, all-encompassing energy in the confines of a physical world and underlying its, it all is the uniting principle of love, expressed in many different ways, but unshakable and infinite at its core. Okay, a couple of things about these articles. One, some of the sentences, okay, either I can't read, which is entirely possible. Uh, every time I'm asked to read in any, like, English or humanities class, I manage to like forget how to read. I like end up talking like a third grader who like just learned about, I don't know, compound sentences. Um, no, you definitely learn that in like first grade, <laughs> but I am amazed at how many times they say campaigners without me feeling like the sentence is the same structure. Like I have a problem when I'm talking about something, um, I have a problem not like finding synonymous words so that I don't sound like I'm just talking about, like I'm just saying the same sentence over and over again. An example would be like, if I'm talking about um, coffee, I would say things, actually, no, I don't know enough about coffee. Um, if I'm talking about uh, calculators, right? I, I would have a problem talking about calculators because I would end up saying things like, uh, this calculator is white. This calculator has lots of buttons. This calculator is my favorite calculator, right? See, the sentences are not symmetrical, but they are, they're just boring because they, they say the structure and the word calculator is used so many times, right? But this article does a really good job. Actually, it does a mediocre job because sometimes when I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, I've said campaigner like 50 times, Um but yeah, that's what I picked up on in this on this article is is their sentence structure um, and how they use campaigners in basically every sentence, but manage to use it differently. Um, I bet the person who wrote this article spent a lot of time thinking about how to not sound redundant. Um, 
But I also think that this article might just relate to everyone in a certain way. I guess the thing about it is that I don't necessarily believe that there are 16 distinct personalities. I think that like everything, there's a range and a spectrum and a person can be all of them and just one more than the other. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's a misconception some people who who read this article might get. They're like, oh, I'm only this. Um, But I totally see how someone could be some of this and some of that. So I wonder, like, what else am I, you know? But then at that rate, they're just describing humans. (laughs) Then they're just, like, writing a humanities paper about personalities. Um, But next time, we can go into friendships, parenthood, career paths, workplace habits, and conclusion. But so far, we've only gone through the first three points, which is introduction, strengths and weaknesses, and romantic relationships. Um, but if you tell me what you are, I will read it on on this podcast, and I will think about whether or not I see you fit that personality. So take this and then let me know, because I'm kind of curious. All right, I have to do my homework. Okay, goodbye, sirs and gentlewomen and gentle people. I will see you tomorrow.